Amen. Let's give it up for those baptisms. Uh, today we're concluding the series we've been in on the last few weeks called Rediscover as we've been walking through uh, the new mission statement God has given us, uh, helping clarify the unique mission God's given us here at New Beginnings Baptist Church. We remind you of our mission statement. Uh, we are people connecting people to Jesus and his ever-restoring life where we live, work, and play. And uh, so you're going to help me for a moment. I want you to say it with me, uh, but I'll put a cheat sheet up here for you so you can just read it off there. And hopefully, eventually, you will memorize this. So I want you to say it out loud with me. We are people connecting people to Jesus and his ever-restoring life where we live, work, and play. That was almost not terrible, all right? Let's just try it again, uh, together again. All right, lift your voice, let's say it together, ready? People, connecting people to Jesus and his ever-restoring life where we live, work, and play. Now that was incredible, best one of the day, and I've only said that in every service, all right? So uh, you guys did incredible. So listen, today what we're gonna do is we're gonna go back to this last statement where we live, work, and play I'm gonna press into this a little bit more, uh, more and talk this morning about the possibilities, the possibilities. Uh, I want you to imagine your life being used on God's mission. I want you to imagine the possibilities of what it would be like for you to understand God's unique calling in your life and the part that you play in the mission of God and the opportunities that are in front of you every single day that you may not even recognize right now. And as you recognize it, I want you to begin to understand God has given you, every single follower of Jesus, he has given you what we're gonna call a kingdom platform. You say, what is a kingdom platform? A kingdom platform is this. It's the platform that God has placed you on that gives you uh, an opportunity of yielding spiritual fruit. It's a place that God has placed you for the purpose of yielding spiritual fruit. I love what Will Mancini, who I've got this phrase from, kingdom platform, here's what he says. A kingdom platform is a person's place of maximum kingdom impact. It's, it's a place of a person's maximum kingdom impact. It's the opportunities that God has placed in front of you every single day that if you will just leverage that, walk in that, own that, that you would make a maximum kingdom impact with your life. And he, here's, here's why this is so important. I want you to hear me emphatically, unapologetically say this. The mission of New Beginnings Baptist Church, the mission, our effectiveness to do what God's called us to do, to impact this community and the state and the surrounding nation and the world, our mission cannot be fulfilled in this room. Let me say it again. Our mission cannot be and will not be fulfilled in this room. This room is designed to equip, to encourage, and to mobilize, but the mission that God has given New Beginnings Baptist Church will not happen within the walls of this room, but in the community in whatever rooms God sends us to as we leave this place. It's where we live, where we work, where we play. That's the mission of God. And every single person in this room, God has called you onto the mission. And listen, I don't miss this. I am still blown away that God would use me. I know where God found me. I know where I would be without him. I know what I am on my best days and what I am on my worst days. And the fact that God loved me so much that he sent Christ to die for me and to resurrect for me and then now through faith in him has given me new life and the, and the fact that even though I was dead and my trespasses and sin, I have been made alive in Christ and that God would use someone like me is beyond my understanding, but he does. And he wants to use you as well. 
And I want you to see there's a greater life that God has saved you to live. I wanna show you this, Ephesians chapter two. It's not where we're gonna be today, so just, don't, just hang tight. I'm gonna give you this verse and we'll get to where we're gonna be in just a little bit. Ephesians chapter two, verse 10. Listen to what Paul says. This is in the New Living Translation because I love how plain it is. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good works he planned for us long ago. I love this, and here, here's why. It, you know, Ephesians chapter two, verse 10 is not the most popular verse. If you were to think about Ephesians chapter two, the most popular verses are verses eight and nine. For by grace we have been saved through faith, and this is not of our own doing. It is a gift of God and not of works, so that no one can boast. In other words, Paul is saying, you are not saved by your good works. You are not saved by your effort. You are saved by God's grace through placing your faith and trust in the finished work of Jesus. And that is why, or that is how, rather, you are saved. Not by your works. But listen, verses 8 and 9 are the platform for verse 10. So he says, after that, you've, you've been saved by grace through faith that is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God so that no one can boast. For you are his masterpiece, created anew in Christ Jesus for the good works that he prepared for you long ago. In other words, the plans that God has for your life of using you to advance his kingdom are made possible because of the grace, faith, salvation that you have. But he has saved you so that you can live this life that he prepared long ago for you. This is, this is incredible to me, that we can actually join the work that God has called us to do, that he created us for. You have not been saved, listen to me, you have not been saved by your good works, but you have been saved for good works, to live the life that God has called you to live. And I want, I want in, in New Beginnings Baptist Church, I'm, I'm praying that God would, would raise up an army of missionaries, of men and women who own their kingdom platform, who recognize where they live, work, and play. There is opportunity around you every day and that those opportunities that are in front of you every day, that is why you've been redeemed. So you can seize the moment and make much of Jesus with your life. And when all is said and done, you can look at the story of redemption and say, I had a part. I was able to play in it. This is what I'm praying that God does here. And he, here's, here's the thing we see. When you read the New Testament, when you see Acts and, and, and when you see the story of uh, the, the epistles, rather, as Paul writes in other parts of the New Testament, here's what you find. The gospel movement that you find in the New Testament, it happened not primarily through preachers and pastors and apostles. It happened primarily through what we would call everyday, ordinary disciples of Jesus who were just walked in the filling of the Holy Spirit, recognized their kingdom platform, and just leveraged their nine to five and the hours after to make much of Jesus in everyday life. That's how the gospel was moved around the world. Not by just pastors and apostles, but by every or, everyday ordinary disciples of Jesus who understood they had a part to play and they leveraged it. And the, and the Bible's full of men and women like this. Like we just, we don't know much about them, but their names are thrown out there and there's just a little sentence about what they did. I'm gonna give you a couple of those real quick just so you'll see what I'm talking about. There's, there's a guy named uh, Ananias in Acts chapter nine and this is how he is, he is introduced. In Acts chapter nine, no description of Ananias is given other than he is a disciple in Damascus. Like not a pastor, not an apostle, not an evangelist, not a mighty man of God. Hey, Ananias, a disciple in Damascus. And God used him in an incredible way. He's overlooked oftentimes, but think about this. Ananias is, is just an ordinary disciple living in Damascus. He's praying, and while he's praying, Jesus shows up and says to him, hey, I'm sending a guy named Saul, Saul of Tarsus. Now, if you don't know who Saul of Tarsus is, he's eventually gonna become the apostle Paul, the greatest missionary the planet has ever known. 
And so he's going to tell him, he's saying, hey, Saul of Tarsus is coming. Well, while he's Saul, before he's saved, Saul of Tarsus hated Christians, murdered Christians, imprisoned Christians. And so here Ananias is, this disciple in Damascus. Jesus says, hey, I'm sending Saul of Tarsus to you. Here's what I love. You, you know you have a great relationship with Jesus is when Jesus says something to you very directly and you're able to talk back and go, I don't think that's a good idea, Jesus. Because here he is, he's praying and Jesus shows up in a vision and says, hey, I'm sending Saul of Tarsus to you. And he's like, no, no, I, I know what he does with people. Bad idea. Good try, Jesus. Let's move on. And Jesus was like, I really wasn't asking permission. I'm telling you he's coming and I'm telling you you're gonna go. And I love this. This disciple in Damascus, a nobody says yes to Jesus, not knowing that when Saul of Tarsus shows up, God is gonna use him to perform a miracle in Paul's life where he receives his sight, and through the receiving of his sight, uh, Paul is gonna give his life to Jesus. Ananias is gonna lead the apostle Paul to Christ, for crying out loud. He's gonna baptize him, and he's gonna affirm his call to ministry. In fact, Paul talks about this later on in Acts, like Acts chapter 22. He, he says that Ananias affirmed his calling. So this just average, everyday, ordinary disciple in Damascus, God uses to intersect the life of Saul of Tarsus, who becomes Paul the Apostle. And by the way, we're in this room because of the ministry of Paul the Apostle. Could have never happened without Ananias, a disciple in Damascus. In Acts chapter nine, there's another one. There's a lady by the name of Tabitha. Tabitha is also known, her name, and this is, makes me laugh every time because I'm, there's a hidden eighth grader in me somewhere. Uh, Tabitha is also known as Dorcas. And um, you can do what you want with that. I'm just glad she didn't grow up in my school. Uh, it would have been bad. Um, so here's the way it introduces her. Uh, Dorcas is introduced as a disciple. She's just a lay leader in a church. She's a lady who follows Jesus. She's just a disciple, an ordinary, everyday follower of Jesus Christ. And in the story in the book of Acts, Dorcas, the Tabitha, dies but her life has made such a kingdom impact that everybody's mourning and grieving. It, it gives a little bit of description, not a lot, but here's what we learn in just a few phrases about Tabitha. Tabitha loved people and she had compassion for people and apparently she was a seamstress, so she would make clothes and give them away. Give them away. She had this kindness and benevolent ministry. In other words, Tabitha leveraged her kingdom platform and she used her vocation and her skill set to advance the gospel. And when she died, everyone mourned because of the character and the life and the love that she showed. In fact, everybody was so upset that one of the apostles came and actually raised her from the grave. And Tabitha, just a disciple, we don't even know much about her life other than she loved God, loved people, and she used and leveraged her kingdom platform, her skill to make a difference in people's lives. Another couple, uh, there's another lady, by the, by the way, named Lydia. Lydia is found in Acts chapter 16. Lydia was the first European convert Lydia most likely was a, a successful businesswoman. She was a designer and, and into clothing. Uh, Lydia was a woman who, who loved God but didn't know God, but through uh, circumstances, the apostle Paul crosses paths with Lydia, and Lydia gives her life to Jesus, and, and there in Philippi, where she meets Jesus, there's no gospel presence. Lydia gives her life to Christ. Um, a guy in, a, in a, a jail, he's a, he's a jailer, he gives his life to Christ. A prostitute gives her life to Christ, and now all of a sudden, you got all these believers starting to pop up in Philippi with no church, and so what does she do? This successful businesswoman who is financially stable, she opens her home and starts the first church in Philippi. And she welcomes them in as Paul pastors the people. She says, I've got resources, I've got money, I've got a home, come. What does she do? She leverages her kingdom platform in order to see the gospel advanced. You see this uh, through uh, a husband and a wife, Aquila and Priscilla. I love those names, Aquila and Priscilla. In fact, I want to say it rightly, Priscilla and Aquila. 
Why is that important? Priscilla is the wife, Aquila is the husband, and these two uh, individuals are mentioned a number of times in Scripture, not a lot about them. Acts chapter 18 talks about them, Romans 16, 1 Timothy 4, 1 Corinthians 16. Uh, they, they were companions of Paul. They loved the ministry of Paul. They helped fund the ministry of Paul. But one of the things that we learn about Aquila and Priscilla is they're not pastors, ministers. They're, they're just average, everyday, ordinary believers. They had a tent-making company, probably pretty well-to-do. And they, ju- they just loved Paul and helped the gospel flourish. In fact, they, they loved making disciples. There, there's actually in, in one of the, I think it's Acts chapter 18, they run across a guy by the name of Apollos when they were in Corinth. And Apollos was a man who was, he was early in his preaching ministry. He was very eloquent, very charismatic, very great preacher of the gospel, but he was not real smart when it came to the gospel. And so he's preaching one day and Aquila and Priscilla, who know the Lord really well, who understand the gospel, they pull him aside and like, hey bro, you, you're like, I, I'm, we, nice hustle, but you don't know the gospel. And so they pull him aside, teach him the gospel, disciple him. Apollos becomes one of the greatest preachers that Corinth has ever known. In fact, he baptized more people than the apostle Paul in Corinth great minister of the gospel would have never gotten to that place apart from Aquila and Priscilla. The reason I mentioned earlier saying Priscilla then Aquila is because in the scriptures, almost every single time this married couple is mentioned, she is mentioned before her, most likely highlighting just what a strong, godly leader she was. Just an ordinary believer making tents. And while she's making tents and he's making tents, they're making disciples pouring into people. Uh, the other one is Luke. Luke is the author of the gospel of Luke and he's the author of the book of Acts. And I don't know that if you know this or not, but he's not a pastor. He's not a preacher. Like, like Luke is not an apostle. Luke is a doctor by profession and a historian. He, he, he's, he's a doctor. He's just a, a guy who loves the Lord and who's leveraging his life and his education and his platform to make a difference. So he travels with the apostle Paul because he has the ability to do this. He's writing scripture. In fact, when you look at the, the book of Luke and Acts, you say, why is he writing this? Luke is a doctor and a historian who's writing Luke and Acts as a gospel explanation and an explanation of the growth of the church to a disciple of his named Theophilus. Theophilus is just a disciple that Luke has made and Luke wants to make sure he's growing in Christ so he sits down and writes two books of the Bible for crying out loud. Just so this young disciple could be built up. This is a guy who used his education, his profession, his kingdom platform, not a pastor, not a preacher, just a disciple of Jesus and he uses him not just to strengthen Theophilus but you and I are in the room today being encouraged by the books that Luke wrote all because he decided to leverage his moment. Does that make sense? The Bible is full of stories of people just like you and just like me that God uses in incredible ways just simply because they leveraged, they seized, they saw their kingdom platform and they used it and they were a part of the mission of God. So here's what we're gonna do. We get you to grab your Bibles and just for a few minutes, we're gonna be in Colossians. Colossians chapter four. As you're turning there, um, I I just wanna wanna kind of tell you, today is gonna feel a little bit more like a classroom uh, than a, a, a church service. It's gonna feel a little bit more. And here's one of the things that, that we're highly committed to. We want you to see new beginnings on our gatherings on Sunday and when we have activities on campus. We want to, to you to see new beginnings as a training center, not an event center. An event center is there for your entertainment. But, but, a, but a training center is there for your equipping. 
And so this morning, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you some truths, some things that you can do practically to leverage your kingdom platform, and then we're gonna give this tool to you, and we're gonna spend some time in here this morning working through this little tool that you're gonna take with you that I believe is gonna help you uh, begin to, to leverage and look at your kingdom platform. So Colossians chapter four, we're gonna start reading in verse five. Paul is talking to Christians, and he's calling them to, to live on mission where they live, work, and play, to leverage their life for the kingdom of God. Look what he says in verse number five. If you're there, say, I'm there. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of your time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. There's so much here that we don't have time to cover, so we're just gonna touch on it. But what Paul is, in essence, doing here is he's calling these believers to live on the mission of God in everyday life, to see their, their kingdom platform and to take advantage of the opportunities that God has placed in front of them. So let me give you three instructions that Paul gives here uh, to, to uh, live out the mission of God on your kingdom platform. Number one is this, listen to this, write this down if you're taking notes. Paul is instructing us to live with a spiritual awareness of your kingdom platform. Live with a, with a spiritual awareness of your kingdom platform. And we talked about kingdom platform is the unique place that God has given you to maximize your kingdom impact. And what Paul is saying is you need to live with a spiritual awareness of that. Look what he says in verse number five. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Now eyes right here for a second. When he's referring to outsiders here, he's referring to the people outside the faith people who do not know Jesus, people who don't have a relationship with him. And he's saying, hey, hey, be wise in how you act or how you live or how you walk with or toward the outsider. In other words, in your life, there are gonna be men and women that you cross paths with on a regular basis. They're gonna be lives that your life intersects on a regular basis. And those people, many of them are gonna be outsiders, non-believers. And he's saying, you need to live with a wisdom, a spiritual awareness and discernment of the divine opportunities that are in front of you. Show wisdom. Every single one of us, we have outsiders that we cross paths with, with our life. And Paul is just simply saying, listen, you gotta recognize those people that you're frequently crossing paths with as you go through life, that is your kingdom platform. Those are the outsiders that God is letting your life intersect, and who knows? It might be that you're the person he's placed in their life so they might find Jesus. So you've got to have wisdom. You've got to have discernment. This is important because what I want you to see this morning is that everybody has what we're going to call a crowd cloud. All right, you say, what is a crowd cloud? A crowd cloud, it's the, it's the group of people that your life intersects most frequently as you go about life, where you live, work, and play. That's your crowd cloud. It's just the, it's the people that your life crosses paths with as you just go about your life, where you live, where you work, where you play. The, the, the mundane routine of life, there are gonna be men and women who are outsiders and you cross paths with them on a regular basis. Here's what I mean by that. So your crowd cloud, and by the way, most people have at least 100 people, if not more, in their crowd cloud. These are, are people that God has, for whatever reason, allowed them to in, in, enter into your life. Listen, some of them you know, some of them you don't know. 
Some of them, you, you know their first name and you know their last name and you know their story and you know everything about their life because you're doing life with them. Some of them, you don't know, you know their first name, you don't know their last name. You don't know where they live. You don't know if they have kids. You don't know what they do for a living. You, you, just, you may know their first name because of some passing interaction. Some of them, you interact with more regularly than you think. You don't know their name. You don't know anything about them, but they're in your life and they're in your crowd cloud. So let me give you a couple of examples. So neighbors would be in your crowd cloud, people that you're passing by and waving to every day. Every day you're seeing their house and you're seeing them out there getting their paper, whatever it is, pass by them. Hey, how we doing? How we doing? You, just, you don't even know their name. You've never met them. You just pass by. Your crowd cloud would be people in your office that you know really well. Could be students in your classroom. Could be teammates that you have on your team or families, parents of teammates that are on your kids' teams. It could be the UPS driver that, that, care, that does your neighborhood and they're there they're in your neighborhood or maybe at your house one or two times a week. You don't know their name. You've never really interacted with them, but every week there is some sort of passing where you interact with them, even if it's just waving at them as you go by or them dropping off a package at your home. It might be the guy at the dollar store that checks you out because you pass by a certain dollar store on your way home and you stop to pick up milk or whatever and it's the same guy there every week. You've never even talked to him, but it seems like there's just this, every time you go in there, there he is. Are you, are you with me? Nod your head. Your crowd cloud. Could be family members. Could be your own children. But we all have people that are, that are in our life that we, we cross paths with every single day. And he, here's what Paul is saying. He says, be wise in those encounters. Have some spiritual awareness. It's not an accident that that dollar store was built on the route where you're going home and you just happen to say, they've got the things that we normally get two or three days a week. And so when we stop in there, it's not an accident that that guy just seems to be the cashier every time that you pass by there. Have wisdom, have spiritual awareness. God is crossing that path for a purpose. Be aware of your kingdom platform. That family that's on your ball team, their kids play, it's not because their kid is a great athlete or not a great athlete, whatever it might be. Listen, God has placed y'all for this season of life because there's an intersection and he is bringing people into your crowd cloud. He is expanding your kingdom platform. We gotta see this. Paul is saying, look, there's got to be a discernment and awareness. And by the way, the more you become aware of the crowd cloud, the more you're going to recognize people in your crowd cloud. How many of y'all have ever done this? We, my, we, our family, a couple years ago, we purchased a, a car and we had never bought a car like we were buying. We never drove this, this model or this type of car. And, um, and we really never even noticed them until we started shopping for them. But then once we started shopping for them, everybody was driving this car. You know what I'm talking about? You ever had that experience? You're like, you don't, you don't even acknowledge, you don't even know the car was, exists. And all of a sudden you're like, somebody recommends it. And you're like, okay, I'll look into that. You start looking in it, you test drive. All of a sudden you're gonna be like, hey, there's, they're everywhere. And it's not as if all of a sudden everybody went and bought a car. It was what was always there just became evident to you. You just begin to recognize it. Why? Because you were aware of it. And this is what happens when we walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Here's number two, here's truth number two, the instruction he gives us. So the first is this, live with spiritual awareness of your kingdom platform. Number two is leverage your kingdom platform with a sense of urgency. Leverage your kingdom platform with a sense of urgency. So once you begin to acknowledge and identify your kingdom platform, now begin to act on it. Look what he says in verse five. He says, making the best use of the time. When Paul says making the best use, in essence, he's saying seize the moment, leverage the opportunity, have urgency, uh, the parallel verse of this is, um, when I say parallel, 
A lot of Paul's writings, uh, he'll have a, like a Ephesians and a Colossians are what we call parallel books of the Bible where Paul says a lot of things in Ephesians that he also says in Colossians. And you can find the parallel passages. Well, the parallel passage to the one we're looking at today is Ephesians chapter five, verse 16, where he says this. Paul simply says, he goes, making the best use of your time. Making the best use of time. And specifically in that, that parallel passage, some translators translate it, redeeming the time. Or buying up the time would be a very loose interpretation of that, buying up the time. The, the picture that Paul is painting in both of these is this. It's like uh, making the most out of an opportunity that's not going to last forever. Make the best use of your time. Redeem it. Buy it up. So it's like this. If you're shopping for a tool or maybe you're shopping for an article of clothing or something for your house and you know this is a little more expensive than you want to pay, so what are you going to do? You're going to get online and research. You're going to look for the best deal possible and you find out, hey, there's a sale going on for this thing I'm looking for and I know this 25% is legit. I've got to seize the moment and buy it while it's on sale. You with me? Any bargain shoppers in the house? What you're doing in that moment is you're making the best use of your money. You're redeeming the moment. You're seizing the opportunity. You're saying, hey, now is the time to act because if I don't act now, I'm gonna miss the opportunity. This is the point that Paul is making. When you live with an awareness spiritually of your crowd cloud, of the kingdom platform God has given you, here's what you gotta do. You gotta begin to live with urgency, making the most of the opportunities. And the reason many of us, listen, even though we know men and women are in our life that God has crossed paths with us, placed in our life for the purpose of advancing the kingdom, many of us still don't engage because our time is being spent doing so many other things. You don't have time for it. We talked about this last week of seeing your life as the mission. Rather than mission being one thing added to many things, what if your, mission, your life became the mission and then even then you, you have to rearrange and prioritize why? Because you wanna make the best use of your time. You wanna seize the moment, leverage your kingdom platform. Pastor Brad said this to me last week and I mentioned it to you, I love this, where there is no margin, there is no ministry. And many of us are not making the best use of our time because we're filling our life with so many things that are, that are not a part of the kingdom platform that we have no time for the kingdom platform. And Paul is saying, listen, there needs to be an urgency. So, so listen to me, this, this is the perspective change that you've gotta have that we've all gotta walk with every single day. So that UPS driver that's dropping boxes off, you don't know his name, and, and, but he's there every week at your house or at your neighbor's house and you're passing by. Listen, he will spend eternity somewhere that waiter or waitress, that person, that, that restaurant that you go to all the time and you just happen to always go during her or his shift and they always kind of seem to be nice or you, you just kind of recognize, okay, I, they, they, they're a part of this restaurant. I see them all the time. Listen, they're gonna spend eternity somewhere. That neighbor, the third house down on the left that you don't really know them, you just wave at them when you leave to go to work. Listen, they're going to spend eternity somewhere. They're gonna spend eternity in heaven or hell and the only determining factor of which it is is what they do with Jesus. How do you know that God has not placed you in their life? They have placed them in your crowd cloud so that you might be the one to lead them to saving faith in Jesus. You feel the urgency? We have responsibility to seize the relationship, to leverage the moment. This is, this is incredibly, incredibly important, which leads me to number three. So I want you to see how they all flow together. Listen to this. Live with a spiritual awareness of your kingdom platform. Number two, leverage your kingdom platform with a sense of urgency. Number three, listen to this. Look for ways to show and share Jesus through your kingdom platform. 
Look for ways to show and share Jesus through your kingdom platform. I love what he says in verse six. Listen to this. He says, let your speech always, everybody say always. always. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. So let your, let your words, let the life that you live, the words that you use, the way that you interact with people, let it show the gospel. So that, so the so that is a purpose clause. It, it's, it's, this is why you're doing that. So that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Paul here is admonishing them, listen to this, that we need to both demonstrate the gospel and proclaim the gospel. That you demonstrate the gospel in the way that you interact with people, you show the gospel, and then you proclaim the gospel by actually sharing the truth of who Jesus is. And Paul is saying it requires both if we're gonna be effective on our kingdom platform. First, he says, you gotta show the gospel. He says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Now, let's be honest. Is, is that the case? Our speech always gracious? See, when salt, listen to me. Here's what Paul is saying to us. Listen, our lifestyle has to be in line with what we say that we believe and who we are in Christ. And he says, but if, you're, if your life, if the words you use and the way that you interact with people isn't seasoned with salt, isn't gracious, then you're given a bad representation of what you're about to share with them and you're losing your kingdom platform. And listen, I'm telling you right now, as a person who can have a sharp tongue, like this is a weakness. Like there's a lot of times, I'll never forget this when I was younger, I've always kind of had the ability just to communicate my thoughts and uh, be willing to say hard stuff. Um, and I'll never forget one time I, I was, I was something happened at school and, and I remember I said something to a teacher that I, I was right in what I said. Like she was, she was wrong and I called her out on that. But I did so with such an arrogant, prideful, disrespectful way. What I said was true, how I said it was, was not good. And i never forget my mom spoke so much wisdom. She says, Todd, you have a gift that, that a lot of people wish they would have. It's the ability to articulate your thoughts and say things directly, things that need to be said. But if you don't temper the tone in which you use it, God's greatest gift is gonna be your greatest weakness. And I'm telling you right now, that's still true. I'm still working that one out. Always be gracious. See what salt. You know what the Jesus says about this? He says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what's coming out of me in those moments where I'm short and, and, and snappy with my family and I'm, I'm, with, I'm frustrated with maybe, maybe somebody at work or, or somebody in the community and I, I say some self-centeredness. When I'm full of self-centeredness, I'll have a lot of self-centeredness speech come out of my life. But whenever I'm, I'm growing in my knowledge of the Lord and I'm immersing myself in the gospel and I'm being filled with the grace and mercy of Jesus and what I have in him, guess what happens? When, when those moments come in my life, all of a sudden what's in me comes out of me and the same is true for you. Like in those moments where just something just comes out, that's the truest form of what's inside of you. And by the way, this whole idea of season your speech with salt, salt in this particular day had two major purposes. One was flavor, which we have today. The other one, it was a preservative. It was how they refrigerated their food. It was how they preserved their food. So what he's saying is when in your speech, make sure that you're life-giving. Make sure that you're building up, not tearing down. Make sure that there's a flavor that makes Jesus taste good to the world. And, and this applies, by the way, to what you say on social media, just in case you didn't know it. 
So Paul in our day would say, make your speech and your text and your social media posts seasoned with salt and gracious. For some reason, we think we get a pass because it's on social media. See, we're pretty good at, at stuffing down the real person who, of who we are, the, the person who's not gracious, the person who's not seasoned with salt. We, we, we stuff that down pretty good when we're face to face because at the end of the day, most of us are cowards. Let's just be honest. And so we'll smile and say what we wanna say and we'll just all be fake for a moment and then we get behind the keyboard, we become cowboys, right? And now we're willing to, and we're getting in fights with people within the church or within the community online. Like, what's the point? And here's what's happening. What's happening is your kingdom platform is being shattered. One rule of thumb I would encourage you to have, listen, pray about it before you post it. Pray about it before you post it. And when all else fails, have somebody proof the post and then hit delete. But it's not just share the, show the gospel, it's share the gospel. Look what he says here. He says, season with salt so that, so that, this is purpose, you may know how you ought to answer each person. So it's not just show Jesus, it's show and tell. It's show and tell. I'm gonna show you who Jesus is, how. By the way I interact with you, the kindness and the grace and the, and, the, and the flavor that my life brings, the encouragement, the preserving power of my words. I'm gonna show you through my life who Jesus is. And then I'm gonna share with you who Jesus is. Listen, the, 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 one of the things that I think we're so confused on, we hear phrases like this, you know, share Jesus with all times when necessary, use words. Let me just tell you, that's not biblical. Share Jesus, and if you, if you have to, use words. No, 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 share Jesus at all times with your life, and at the same time, share Jesus with your mouth. It's both. And so many people wanna do the escape. I'm just gonna let people look at my life, and they'll see the gospel in me, and no, they won't. They're just gonna think you're a great guy and a great girl. What they need to know is you're not, but Jesus is, and he's inside of you, and because of that, there's a transforming work that's coming inside of you that can happen inside of them, Right? I love what Pastor Johnny Hunt, he's a pastor out of uh, Alabama, he says this, he had a, a church member say to him, you know, like, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't share Jesus, I just show Jesus with my life. I just, I show the gospel, I don't share the gospel. And, and I love uh, Pastor Johnny's uh, response. Uh, and he, he, he looked at me, he says, well, you're not that good. <laughs> and the person was like, what do you mean? He goes, Jesus showed up on the scene, he was God in the flesh, lived perfectly out everything that God desired, and he still had to preach. You think you're better than Jesus? And I hear you, listen to what Paul is saying, so that. They see your life, and all of a sudden their head turns. What's different about you? Why is it that when you're having those hard conversations, it seems like you still love people in the middle of it? What is it about you that when it seems like the bottom dropped, dropped out and you were crying, there was still a sense of joy and comfort and peace in your life? Why, what is it about you that's so different so that when you are asked that, you can answer it? You can point them to Jesus. You can tell them that Jesus lived and he died and he resurrected from the grave and he's transformed your life and he can transform their life. You, you show it and when they know it, you share it. You, you lean in and look for and press into. And even at times as the Holy Spirit leads you, you help create opportunities by asking simple questions. Hey, how can I pray for you? That's a non-offensive question, right? How, how can I pray for you? What, what are they gonna say? Well, don't pray for me. They could, so what? What if they say, well, man, I lost a loved one last week and I'm just really broken over it. Or my wife 
is leaving me and I don't know how I'm gonna do this without her. And all of a sudden there's an opportunity for you to begin to speak life as you pray for them. Open doors to both show and share the gospel. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, look for ways to leverage and to your kingdom platform so you can share and show Jesus to the world around you. Now listen, Paul is the great example of this. I gotta do this very quickly, but Paul is the great example of this. He shows us what this looks like to have a, have a mentality that's kingdom platform focused. I wanna show you what he does in verse two through four. Look at, look what he does here. Colossians chapter four, verse two through four. Paul is writing, before he gives those instructions, he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Listen to me, prayer is, is key to the advancement of the gospel. It's key. Steadfastly means pray constantly, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now listen to verse three, specific prayer request. He's gonna ask for two things. At the same time, pray also for us, for Paul and his companions, that God may open to us a door for the word. The word is the gospel, for the gospel, to declare the mystery of Christ on the account of which I am in prison that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Listen to what Paul is saying. Paul is writing this from prison. Paul, this is called an epistle, a prison a prison epistle, I think that's what it's called. Yeah. It's, 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 he's, he's writing this in jail. Now I want you to listen to this. There's two requests Paul prays for. Number one, he prays for gospel doors to be open. For gospel doors to be open. Now notice this, he says, listen, pray for us also that the, that the, the doors might open for the word, for the gospel to go forward which is why I'm in prison. Why is Paul in prison? Because he preached the gospel. But notice this, when Paul says pray for us also, he doesn't say pray for prison doors to be open. He says pray for gospel doors to be open in prison. Why? Because Paul understood where we live, work, and play matters. He understood his kingdom platform. Right now, where he lived was in prison. Therefore, his kingdom platform was those who are around him in the prison. He says, so now that I understand my kingdom platform, I'm asking you to ask Jesus to open doors, the gospel will move forward on the platform that he's given me. And then he says, listen to this, not just pray for gospel doors to be open, pray for gospel clarity as I walk through those doors. Pray for gospel clarity. How many of you ever feel like you just don't have the right words to say to someone when you're sharing Jesus? Don't raise your hand. Three or four or five of you are honest. The rest of you liars in here. You know, you know Paul, Paul is saying, hey, I'm a part of that team. He says, I'm asking you to pray for me so that when the time comes, I'll know what to say and I can say it the right way. So if you've ever felt insecure about sharing your faith and unconfident, like I wanna make sure I say it right, just know that Paul is praying for the same thing that you should be praying for. So I love this, he prays, he seeks the face of God and says, I want you to pray for gospel doors to be open and I want you to pray for gospel clarity as I walk through those doors. So here's what we're gonna do. This is where your, your work begins right now. I'm gonna get you to grab your, grab, your, grab your sheet and if you don't have one of these right here, I'm asking everybody to participate. Even if you're like, I will never do what's on here, great, that's fine. At least just fill it out for me. Just humor me in this if you're willing to. Now listen, if you don't have a sheet, uh, raise your hand up really high. We have more uh, uh, people that are gonna pass those out. Raise your, raise your hand really high if you don't have one. Just hold it up until they get it to you. We got a number of people that's gonna be passing those around. As they're doing that, let me tell you what we're gonna do. We're gonna start with this side. We're gonna start with your crowd cloud. Here's what I want you to do. We're gonna take eight, eight or so minutes to do this and then we're gonna pray over these sheets. And I'm asking you, listen, we're ahead of schedule, so just, let's, let's just walk through this exercise. And here's what I want you to do is I want you to identify your crowd cloud. There's gonna be an example up here on the screen I wanna show you. So on the crowd cloud, if you know their first name, write their first name. If you know their first and last name, write their first and last name. 
So where you live, where you work, where you play, I wanna get you to identify your crowd cloud. But like on the example here, it just says here, a guy at the corner house. I don't know his name, but I pass him every day. So it could be for you, the lady at the dollar store. It could be the waiter at whatever restaurant that you, you see them all the time there and they're coming to your mind. Just say the waiter at the restaurant. Just put, their, put that down there. Identify your crowd cloud. Could be the umpire at the baseball game. Put their name there. Where you live, work, you play. So, and then on this other side, you're gonna answer a couple of questions. I want you to identify what, what's, what, what area where you live, work, or play right now do you see the greatest kingdom platform? Because sometimes life, like for instance, there's sometimes in my life the greatest king, kingdom platform that I have is when I'm coaching a basketball team for my kids and all their friends. I can recognize that. So for you, it might be where you live, your neighborhood, your, your environment, where you go to the gym, could be your, you know, where you play, could be your work. Identify which one it is for you. And then where you live, work, and play, off of your crowd cloud, you're gonna choose one from each category. Who's the person right now that you could begin to pray for and intentionally connect to Jesus? People connecting people to Jesus. Every story in life, we live, work, and play. So who's one person in each category that right now, if you just were more intentional, you could begin the process of praying for them and connecting them to Jesus. And then the last thing you're gonna do is you're gonna write some key steps. So for instance, on this one, hey, Matt's in my neighborhood, and so I'm gonna invite Matt's family over for dinner. I'm just gonna cook out in the backyard and hang out with Matt's family. That's gonna be a first step to start building a relationship. It could be uh, learn the UPS guy's name. <laughs> UPS guy comes to the house, I just wanna know his name so I can, I can begin a relationship. This other example here is ask Connor how you can pray for him. Connor's somebody on the list over here. Say, how can I pray for you? So what I want you to do is not, don't write these things, write your things. What are the, what are the things you could do? First steps. So I'm gonna give you some time, work through this. And then what we're gonna do in a minute is pray over this.
you a couple more minutes. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you. Some of you are finishing this up. I'm just going to leverage my kingdom platform just for a moment. And I just want to say, if you're here in this place this morning and you are uncertain about your relationship with God, whether or not your sins have been forgiven, whether or not you've ever been saved, I want you to know this morning that God loves you. And though you were a sinner, though I'm a sinner, Christ loved us so much that God sent his son to die for us. And in his death, he paid the price for our sin so that I wouldn't have to bear the weight of the penalty of the sin that I've committed. But the great news is he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he resurrected from the grave back to life. That means that in him, I can find eternal life. In him, my sins can be forgiven because he paid the penalty and it is proven by his resurrection. And by faith in him, believing that he is the only way to be saved, the only way to have your sins forgiven, that is how you enter into a relationship with God. Heaven and a relationship with God and having your sins forgiven has nothing to do with what you do for God. It's about what God has done in Christ for you. If you've never trusted that today, that's where you begin. So right now you could do that. You could just call on the name of the Lord. Just say, God, I'm a sinner and I need a savior and I believe that Jesus died and he resurrected and I need new life and I know it's found only in him. So if that's where you are, I want you to, you to call the name of the Lord in your own words, pray something like that. Ask him to save you. And in a few moments when we pray, come and tell one of our encouragers. We'll have people in the aisles come and say, hey, I pray to receive Jesus or I need to. I want to be certain that I know Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. If you're still finishing up yours, you can continue to do that. But in a moment, I'm going to pray and then we're going to stand. And we're just going to sing for a few minutes. I'm not going to sing long. But what I'm asking you to do, and I want you to hear me say this. What, what does Paul start with? Prayer. We pray steadfastly. For doors of the gospel to be open for gospel clarity as we walk through those doors. So you're holding a paper that where you're identifying your kingdom platform. So what, what I'm going to do, I'm going to ask you, if, if you, as we in a moment stand and sing, if you want to kneel at your seat, kneel at your seat. Come to this altar. We have people, all services coming and just their card, just laying it down and praying over the names on that card, asking God to use them. I want us to take this serious. God wants to use you to advance his mission. So let's just start that, that journey of God using us by calling on the one who empowers us to be used. That's him. He calls us and then he equips us. So this morning, you're recognizing that call, then, then, then come and depend upon him. Lean down on your knees, get before him and say, God, I need you. And I need you to empower me. As we do that, if you need to come and receive Christ, people are going to be available for that. Father, I love you. And I'm asking now in the name of Jesus that you would move like only you can move, Lord, that you would draw us to a place of brokenness over the names on our, our paper and that we would begin to leverage the kingdom platform that you've given us to advance your mission. And God, for those who need salvation, Lord, or those who prayed this morning to receive you, let them come. We'll give them the courage to go tell somebody. As we worship you and as we focus on you, Lord, have your way in this place in Jesus' name. Amen.